If you're new to Canada, today is an unusual day in our fair nation. Anybody know what today is? It's Groundhog Day. Now let me explain Groundhog Day to you. It's the weirdest day of the year in Canada. It is, we have these rodents, and they are rodents. They're large rats. They're called groundhogs. They live in the ground. They come up and burrow to the surface. And so we have this crazy tradition. We have actually our affectionate groundhog is called Wyerton Willie. And when Wyerton Willie comes up out of his uh, hole on the surface, they tell whether or not we're going to have an early spring or we're going to have a longer winter. And it goes like this. I know, I know we don't trust the weather people, much less rodents to tell what the future is going to do. It's the craziest thing. If he doesn't see a shadow, that means it's going to be an early spring. If he does see a shadow when he comes up out of the hole, it's going to be six weeks more of winter. Now, but this is how it really works out. Follow me. If he doesn't see a shadow, it's a month and a half of winter. If he does see a shadow, it's six weeks. It's the most ridiculous tradition we have. Well, I shouldn't say the most ridiculous. But anyway, if you want to know what Groundhog Day is, that's Groundhog Day. I don't even know why we're talking about this on Sunday morning. Anyway, let's stand together. We're on our 17th installment of the story of 31. So we're into the second half. And we're looking today at 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 to 21. And I'm going to read... The, I'm going to read, I think it's the yellow, and you're going to read um, the white in just a minute. But just one announcement, one serious announcement. Um, we, there's a family in our congregation who are in desperate need of accommodations. Um, they are looking for either a three-bedroom apartment or a three-bedroom house. And if you have anybody that knows of any vacancies, would you either go to the information kiosk, talk to me, or call the office and let us know so we can track down some leads? That's, uh, we need a three-bedroom apartment or a three-bedroom house. And if you know anybody, please let us know. Okay, here we go. A second Chronicles, and this is what it says. Yellow. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, this is Israel's, Judah's ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy." He brought them up against them, the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary. He did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials, they set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. 
The land enjoyed its Sabbath's rest. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Excellent. Let's pray together. Father, we pause again this morning to thank you for your love for us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes what you've accomplished in Jesus and makes it possible and applicable in our lives. And Lord, we have sensed the awareness of Jesus in our midst today through the work of the Spirit. And so we now ask and pray that that same Holy Spirit would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, and particularly that that same Holy Spirit would help us, enable us, as we go out into our lives and our marriages and our friendships and our families and, Lord, where we go to work and where we go to school and where we recreate and where we get our services. And, Lord, that you would help us by the Holy Spirit to live out what it means to be the people of God, a people in relationship with God, showing others what a person who is a Christian looks like. And we ask that you would help us to do that in physical and tangible and very meaningful ways. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his name's sake. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Three friends were out deer hunting together. A lawyer, a doctor, and a preacher. Now you know that a story with those characters has got to go well. Well, they were all out and uh, they were walking along and all of a sudden they came up on this big buck. And simultaneously, all three, the lawyer, the doctor, and the preacher, pull out their gun and shoot the buck. Well, the buck falls, of course, and uh, they, uh, they run over to see how big the, the deer was. And um, all of a sudden, as they're over there, a, a debate breaks out about who shot the buck. Well... As things should happen, the conservation officer, the, the game warden, came along and heard them arguing and said, what are you guys arguing about? He said, when they told him the story and, uh, well, and that they had all shot and they wanted to know who shot the buck. And so the conservation officer went over and looked at the, uh, the deer and within a few seconds he said, well, it's easy to know who killed the deer. And the doctor and the lawyer and the preacher are a little bit surprised that he figured this out so quickly. And they said, well, well, well how, how do you know? And he said, well, it's easy. The preacher killed the buck. And they said, how do you know that? He said, because the bullet went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> Some of you will get that momentarily. Now, this is how it is with Judah and Israel before them. Our text says this, that God sent word to them through his messengers, the prophets again and again, but they mocked God's messengers and despised his words and scoffed at his prophets. And what God had said through his prophets, his messengers went in one ear and out the other. Now, one of those prophets, of course, is Jeremiah called the weeping prophet. 
Now, one of the wonderful things about Jeremiah is that Jeremiah's story is not that unlike our story, your story, my story. His call to ministry, to be a prophet, to be God's spokesman, to be God's messenger is one of the most down-to-earth calls that we're ever going to find in the scriptures. And I think it is one that you and I can identify with. This is the story in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said, Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am, the, I am with you and will rescue, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my lips and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Now what that tells us is that like Jeremiah, you and I, we are known we are known by God, and we were known by God before we were born. Ephesians 1.4 says, For they, he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And not only are you and I, like Jeremiah, known by God even before we were born, but God has a plan for us. God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for our lives. And we'll look at this a little bit later when we look at Jeremiah again. And not only that, not only does God know us and, and know you, and not only does he have a plan for you, he has a place for you in his kingdom. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that you and I, that we are God's handiwork, we are God's craftsmanship, we are God's art created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you and I to do. God called us. And not only did he call us to be his sons and daughters, but he called each of us, every one of us in this room, every Christian, and those watching online, all of us, every believer, we are called to play a role in God's unfolding upper story, his upper story of love and salvation. The other thing is that this plan, this place that we have, this plan that God has for us, it's an ever-unfolding process in our lives, even as we speak. Now, I know what some of you or some of us are thinking. Many of us, if not all of us, at some point in our lives feel completely inadequate, unable to be and do who God has invited us to be and do. We identify with Jeremiah's words, don't we? Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young or too old or not educated enough 
or not smart enough or good-looking enough. My background is not good enough. I'm not eloquent enough. And you put in whatever reason you put in there, I am too young or I am too, what is it for you that's your excuse, that's your reason? That's our reason for God not using us or us not being used by God. It's part of being human to feel inadequate, to feel incapable. Everybody, all of us as human beings feel this inadequacy from time to time. But there's also this, that God is an enabler. I love that. Like Jeremiah, we are not left to our own devices, our own talents, our own strength, our own abilities. We are enabled, we are equipped, we are empowered by none other than God himself by his Holy Spirit. Not only does God call us to be his sons and daughters, he invites us to participate to be a part of what he is doing in, through, and as Jesus Christ. And he does that through the agency, through the ability, through the action, the enabling of his Holy Spirit. And John said these words, John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and all of you know the truth. Right? We all know that truth, right? Right? That we have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. There isn't a Christian in the room or watching online who is going to watch the archive of this message. That we don't know the truth. That the reality is we have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. Every Christian. Not just preachers or doctors or lawyers. But everybody. Every person. I like the old language. We have an unction from the Holy Spirit. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Come on, don't be shy. Now turn to your neighbor, the other neighbor, the one that didn't say anything to you, and say, I have an anointing from the Holy One. Tell them again, this time raise your voice a little. You know the truth. You do. Now I know that some of you didn't participate either because you're uncomfortable or shy or just plain stuck up. So let's try that again. You ready? And I'm watching this time because I saw some of you and I'm ready to call names right now. I'm feeling pretty juicy today. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Come on. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, I have an anointing from the Holy One. And I know it's true. Some of you are getting it. And God says to Jeremiah, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and, to, and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, the other thing is this, is that while all that is a reality and it's truth, Jeremiah is given a tough assignment. He is being called by God to speak for God, to be God's spokesperson, 
But he knows that every word he speaks will go in one ear and out the other. He knows that even before he begins, he knew that they would not listen. That his words would be ignored. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, we read these words, Get yourself ready, stand up, and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. There you go. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue you, declares the Lord. God touched Jeremiah's mouth and assured him this. I am putting my words in your mouth. And this is not about you. This is about me working through you. This is God drawing and inviting Jeremiah to participate in God's upper story of salvation and love. But God gave Jeremiah a difficult assignment. And then he tells them that he would actually fail at it. He would not succeed. That his words would go in one ear and out the other. Here it is. God does not always call us to be successful. But he calls us to be faithful. We may never know the outcome of our faithfulness in this life. And in the eyes of some people, we may even look like a failure. But if we are faithful, we will hear God say eventually, you are successful. Now, the other thing that makes Jeremiah's assignment tough is that God has called him to be his spokesman to the last of Israel's nation family, which is Judah and Benjamin, at a time when Judah is falling apart. Now, remember our timeline, that 47 years before this, our text, God allowed the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, to be brought into exile into Assyria. Now, 47 years later, Judah is following in the same steps, but they're going into exile with the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is a prophet to Judah, the southern kingdom. Israel is no more. And of the six kings, the last six kings of Judah, two stand out. A 12-year-old and an 8-year-old. The 8-year-old is the best of the last six. His name is King Josiah and his story is told us in 2 Kings 22, chapter 1 following. He is, by the way... I've been telling our Bible study group that the, the, the amazing thing about Josiah is this, that the link 
between God's promise to Abraham and David and the Messiah, Jesus Christ, becomes so thin that it comes down to a little boy, eight years old. Josiah is the only link that is connecting God's promise to David and Jesus the Messiah. Josiah is righteous. He reforms the nation. And as he's clearing up and repairing the temple, the book of the law is discovered. And when the book of the law is discovered, they read it. And for the first time in hundreds of years, they celebrate the Passover. This is a big deal. He is the best of the last six kings. The 12-year-old is the worst of the last six. His name is Manasseh, and his story is told us in 2 Kings 21. Now, we are told that Manasseh did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any other king. It says to us in 2 Kings 21, Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him. Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. I hope that's a metaphor. Judah is going to pieces. And Jeremiah knows it. And he knows where this is going to end. And our text tells us that there was no remedy. In other words, Judah is entering the forest of no return. This is the line in the sand, and God has given them over to their ways. And Jeremiah's assignment is tough because he knows that Judah, that with Judah there is no remedy. And for the next 70 years, they will be exiled in Babylon. And Jeremiah's assignment is tough because he knows that things are going to get a whole lot worse before they ever get better. And other voices are telling the people the complete opposite, that there is not going to be exile, but that there's going to be peace. But you and I can imagine, can we not? That 70 years of exile of captivity is a hard sell. The text that we read as our opening text this morning from 1 Chronicles is actually also in Jeremiah chapter 25 where Jeremiah forecasts what our text that we read tells us. And our text, as you read through it, as we read through it this morning, bears up the disgusting brutality of the Babylonians. Let me just give you a little insight on how brutal and how cruel were the Babylonians. We are all familiar with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Historians and scholars tell us that it is the most terrible, gruesome, painful way to die. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion. Do you know where they got it? They borrowed it from the Babylonians. The Babylonians actually invented crucifixion. And this broke Jeremiah's heart. 
And is it any wonder that Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet? And to understand the Bible a little bit better, that Jeremiah's weeping is recorded in the book of Lamentations. But this also broke God's heart. Travis Edis said that God is completely just and he is completely merciful. It broke Jeremiah's heart and it broke God's heart. But thankfully, this is not the end of the story. Here's the rest of the story. Edith said these words, what we love will change the way we live and how we live, will ne- but how we live will never change the way we are loved. Let me read it again. What we love will change the way we live, but how we live will never change the way that we are loved. The first thing we notice is this. God is faithful and he cannot and will not change. One of the greatest texts filled with the most hope in the entire Old Testament is found in the book of Lamentations where Jeremiah writes, I remember my affliction and my wandering My bitterness and the gall, I will remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. But 70 years is a long time to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. But there's also this. We are never without hope because God is never without a plan. And that brings us to one of the other greatest texts in the Old Testament with one of the most familiar and meaningful promises in the Bible. And it's Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. And here's the promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to, the, bring you back to this place from which I carried you into exile. Plans to prosper you 
and me. Plans not to harm you or me. Plans to give us hope and a future. You see, in God's upper story, the bigger picture, the grand narrative of the Bible, the main artery of the Bible, this is God's plan, but it also applies to our lower stories, yours and mine, and how we fit in God's upper story. Jeremiah's, Judah's, ours, yours and mine, our hope is based in the great faithfulness of our God. And I end with this. We are deeply loved by the only one who can satisfy our deepest desires. We are loved. You are loved. I am loved. We are loved by the only one who can satisfy our deepest desires. And nothing demonstrates that more than the cross and communion. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. And I've asked Pastor Scott to lead us in two of the songs that we've already sung. The first one is this. I love you, Lord, and your mercy never fails, the goodness of God. How many can testify to the goodness of God? Here's what's going to happen. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here and welcome. If you want to participate in communion, you're welcome to do that as well. This is the Lord's table, not ours. I'm going to have you come forward this morning and receive the emblems and the bread and the um, juice that represents the body and the blood of our Lord. Here's what I want you to do, though. I do not want you to take it. I want you to come. I want you to take the bread and the juice and bring it back to your chair. And this morning, we are going to have communion together. If you are in the room and uh, you are unable to come forward because of mobility reasons, then just lift your hand and one of the ushers will come and will serve you communion. But the rest of us, I want you to get up and out of your seat and come and receive the emblems and then take them back to your seat. And I'll give you further instruction then. But before we do any of that, would you stand with me? Father, I thank you that you are a God with a plan and that I've got a place in it. And Lord, a plan that to, for us to be a part, for everyone in this room and those watching, on to, you know, watching online, to be a part of that plan and that purpose. From before creation, the Bible tells us, before any of us were ever born, you saw us. You called us. You called us to be your sons and your daughters. That ought to give us hope. But Lord, you haven't just called us to be your sons and daughters. You've called us to participate. You've called, you have invited us to be co-laborers together with you. To be involved in what you're doing, in what you are doing in, through, and as Jesus Christ. There's only one ministry, Lord. It's yours. And all we're doing in 
it, all we are doing is participating in what you are doing. But I thank you today that you have not left us to our own devices, but you have given us your Holy Spirit to equip us and to enable us to do what you have called us to do and to be what you have called us, who you have called us to be. And you're faithful. Our hope is that you have a plan. And at the end of the day, I, we are loved by the only one who can satisfy our deepest desires. Lord, I pray today in the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Fill this place and fill our hearts and our minds and our lives and our relationships with the goodness of God.